look so gay. The meadowlarks are singing, joy's in the air. Come set your bells a-ringing, you've gladness to share. Hello there, Sister Doodrop, linger a little while. Your colors in the sunlight would make a monarch smile. What need am I for treasures? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunday service at Ananda Village. It's a joy to be here with you. I'm Tiagi Lisa, and this is Nayaswami Gyandev. And our reading today is, as usual, from Rays of the One Night, One Light, <laughs> Weekly Commentaries of the Bible and Bhagavad Gita. This week is Intuition is Simple, the Intellect is Complex. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, we read a passage that Yogananda often quoted. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It has often been noted that a critical attitude tends to paralyze creativity. Good critics, for example, seldom produce works of creative genius, though their creations may be intellectually clever. The intellect separates, it analyzes, then puts things together again piece by piece. Intellect lacks intuition's flow, which descends smoothly like a river from the superconscious. Paramahansa Yogananda described intuition as the soul's power of knowing God. To receive the kingdom of God, Jesus was saying, one must do with openness and tr with the openness and trust of a little child. Intellectuals may object to this statement saying, but there must also be discrimination. You wouldn't want a person to be so open-minded that his brain falls out. The truth is, however, that the intellect can be fooled even when it does its best to discriminate wisely. <coughs> Only intuition is capable of penetrating to the heart of a matter and knowing truth from falsehood. It was the clear understanding of a child, not the elaborately persuaded intellects of his elders, that enabled the child in Hans Christian Andersen's story to cry out in surprise, why isn't the emperor wearing any clothes? 
Therefore, it was that Sri Krishna said in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, to you who are free from the carping spirit, I shall now reveal wisdom sublime. <clears throat> Grasping it with your mind and perceiving it by intuitive realization, you shall escape the evils of delusion. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Thank you for showing up on such a beautiful day to be inside. It's tempting to just go out and play in the sun. Uh, I'd like to share with you a brief uh, prayer demand from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's book. I, I love that expression, prayer demand. Uh, he was so strong about, you know, don't beg. Uh, that your prayers should be loving demands, but demands nevertheless. This is the demand for the rising of the aurora of intuition. Infinite spirit, thy presence is hidden equally behind the warm rays of the sun and the cool light of the moon. Those lights, though welcome and wonderful, reveal only Mother Nature's splendor in matter. They reveal not thee. To me, they are therefore darkness. Thy all-revealing, majestic, and supreme light shines not on, but from within the center of everything, therefore creating no shadows. Shadows in this world reduce light itself to non-light. In theory, I have known this, now, Lord, take all darkness away from me. Wherever I sit with eyes shut and closed in my own darkness, cause to blaze upon me in glory the aurora of intuition that suffused in its light, I may gaze raptly on thee with worshiping eyes. You know, Paramahansa Yogananda, Master, used uh, many different <coughs> analogies and, and metaphors to really try to express what intuition is because intuition doesn't fit into words. It doesn't fit into the intellect. It is just uh, another level of understanding that, in fact, the intellect can't really touch. It can perhaps guide us in that direction. The intellect is not a bad thing. Uh, it would be pretty sad to walk around this world without an intellect. It would be uh, a disaster, basically. <laughs> we, we need that, but uh, the problem is, of course, that, that when all you have is a hammer, every problem starts to look like a nail, and there are a lot of problems in this world that the intellect cannot handle. That uh, and the biggest problem of all being uh, the quest for God. Uh, and the intellect is a tool, but it can't take us there. And as I said, Yogananda used many different metaphors and analogies. And uh, I was actually looking for one, or it would be familiar to many of you, 
where he talked about you, know, you, you simply cannot adequately describe the taste of an orange to someone if they have not had an orange. That uh, the words, the intellect simply can't do it. Well, before I found that, I found something else that is that I've never really tuned in before to and I wanted to share with you. It's a little bit of a mind bender, um, from my mind anyway. I said this. The senses tell us the color, shape, size, texture, taste of an orange. But none of those is the orange. And here's the mind bender. The orange is the force which combines these qualities harmoniously to produce the effect of an orange. <laughs> I'll read that again. <laughs> The orange is the force which combines these qualities harmoniously to produce the effect of an orange. And it's like only through intuition can we really, really perceive that. You know, that, that, in, that in that reading from Whispers, he talked about you know, the, the light of the sun, the light of the moon shining on objects. You know, they illuminate them. And, and our senses can, can perceive them, but we can't really know them, except through intuition. And it's a challenge, because this world is set up, our lives are set up, to become very dependent on intellect, and not so dependent on intuition. When we're really small children, we don't live that much by the intellect. Just why Jesus was very happy to have those children come to him. We don't live so much by that. We live more intuitively, but it gets <coughs> trained out of us as we, as we start to have to cope with the things of this world, as we go through um, the education system, which emphasizes the intellect really to the exclusion of intuition, except for perhaps an occasional art teacher who might bring a little more of that in, that we basically, our, our lives revolve more and more and more around the intellect. And let's not even talk about college, <laughs> where, where the intellect is worshipped. Uh, I can't imagine anymore going back to college for that very, very reason, because it would be starvation for one who wants to live more in intuition and is struggling to use the intellect wisely, but not exclusively. But it's, uh, it's the world is just set up. It's a design flaw. Um, that the world, the world is really set up for, that's me carping a little bit, uh, uh, is set up to take us out of intuition and more and more into the, into the intellect. And it takes a very, very conscious effort to use the intellect as needed, but not to just fall into the, the habit and, and the cultural attraction of using the intellect, at least in most of the West, and certainly in this country, that there's a, the, there's a strong current of intellect. And regardless of what our 
education was or was not in the realm of intellect versus intuition, that cultural force tends to push us toward depending more and more on the intellect. I know that, that when, I, uh, when I go to India, it's, at first it's a, it's a jolt because it is more of an intuitive culture. And not that there's no intellect there. There's plenty of intellect there. In fact, as I, I read a quotation from, from one uh, uh, education expert not long ago, it said, there are more gifted children, or India has more gifted children than America has children. <laughs> uh, so there are, there, there are very, but the general feeling of the country is not intellect so much as a, as a flow to an extent that you go there and the intellect can't make heads or tails of, of what's going on there. The intellect says, how in, this, how in the world could this country exist? You know, how, how could it be not just existing, but, but dynamic, but full of vitality? Because the intellect can't grasp that kind of, that kind of a, a flow. And, you know, it's, it's as if our upbringing and education and our environment weren't enough to fully obscure intuition, then we have emotion. Emotion which, which completely uh, stirs the, the waters of intuition to the extent that we, we can't see the reflection of truth in those waters. And akin to that is that, that carping spirit, which is very, very much along the lines of emotion. I don't like this. I don't like that. And that in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna was saying to Arjuna, because you have freed yourself from judgment, essentially, that then it's not sort of as a reward that Krishna could reveal to him wisdom sublime, sublime. It's that Arjuna would not have been able to perceive it with that, with that carping spirit. And we all have things in this world that, that we would like to see rearranged a little bit, would, uh, that we sometimes complain about and get into that carping spirit. I know I have my list, and I'm sure you have your lists, and things like poison oak, and, and uh, cockroaches, and um, memory loss. You know, <laughs> you know there's, there's, plenty, there's plenty to complain about if we choose to. And there are plenty of forces that are, that are just causing us to grab on to the intellectual response to life instead of the intuitive response, which is why, one reason why it's so important to have that meditation practice and have especially that period after the practice of the, of the techniques when you sit in the stillness and the, what Jyotish uh, Novak called in his book, How to Meditate and Lessons in Meditation, the expansion stage. 
of meditation as opposed to the we divide he was talking about Hong saw the relaxation phase the concentration phase the expansion or stage he used the term relaxation that's clear concentration you're, you're watching the breath you're repeating a mantra with the breath you're moving the right forefinger gently you are moving the right forefinger <laughs> right. you remember that part yeah, in fact, I was listening just the other day to a talk that Swami gave. Uh, he was talking about the, the topic was original Christianity and original yoga, but he got into talking about orthodoxy and actually the role of orthodoxy in, in spiritual teaching. And that uh, got him onto the topic of the right forefinger uh, in Hong Sa. And he, he talked about how Master had said that the purpose of moving the right forefinger is so you can differentiate between the inhalations and the exhalations. And he thought, like probably pretty much all of us in this room thought, I can handle that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can do that without the movement of the forefinger. Uh, you know, my grandmother could do that and she's been dead for many years. You know, it's just not a necessary thing. So, so I mean, having a prodigious intellect in addition to his, uh, his intuitive faculty, um, seems like wanted to understand why, why we're doing this. And so I'm not gonna go through the whole thing that he talked about here, but he, he was able over time, he was able to sort it out and really get a sense, oh, that's what Master was talking about. That's why he was having us do this. Um, but he just didn't want to take the trouble to explain in the, in the detail that Swami was eventually able to come up with on his own. And, and he said, and I realized it didn't matter at all whether I understood why he was having us do that. It didn't matter in the least. What mattered was doing it because it's in the doing that we come to understand. And until we do it, we won't understand. We can't understand. Because it's not something that's really of the intellect. I know so many times over the years, I've been talking with someone who will say something along the lines of the following. Uh, I've been searching my, for my spiritual path for so long. And you fill in the blank, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I've heard 30 years. Said, if only I knew what it was, I would give myself completely to it. And depending on the person's receptivity uh, that I can intuitively uh, gather anyway, I tend to say, if only you would give yourself completely to something, to the best thing you can see, you would begin to understand what your spiritual path is. It is in the doing. That we, come, that we come to understand. And it is in the, in the doing of that expansion stage of meditation where we begin to really develop our own intuition. The Master said, that's the time that we develop our intuition, but we don't develop our intuition by just sitting passively, hoping that something is going to happen. 
that somehow our intuition is going to, to develop, that it requires attention. Just a week and a half ago, we started the uh, online version of Ananda Meditation teacher training. We have a wonderful group, about 32 people. And uh, one of their first assignments was simply to introduce themselves and give their, and kind of in the context of meditation. And one of the students, she's from Ireland, she lives in Ireland, and she had spent many years um, as a Catholic nun. And uh, in a particular order from a, a woman of 16th, 17th century, uh, English woman named Mary Ward. And she was quoting her, her teacher of the ageless, uh, a book that she had written, uh, that, that Mary Ward had written. She was quoting how Mary Ward expressed meditation. She said, I simply sit and wait quietly, patiently, and handsomely. <laughs> I love that. Handsomely. That shows you how language evolves to have a little different meaning. But what she was, what handsomely was in this context was attentively, skillfully. I wait skillfully. I don't just sit there and hope something happens, but I pay attention. I listen carefully because this is how intuition comes to us, not necessarily in words, probably more often for most people in feeling, but it <coughs> doesn't usually come to us because we haven't been paying attention. It comes to us in a way that we have been paying attention to. And ever since I heard that, I've been taking that into my meditation quietly, patiently, Handsomely, I keep using that word because something about it. I really, I, I really, I really like it. it. Has a charm to it, and this is what we're wanting to do in this expansion stage of meditation: to listen, to feel God's presence. But the thing is, if we just dump ourselves off into the expansion stage without Having to, had, having to have had a, a, a feeling connection with what we're doing in the techniques, it's going to be quite a drop-off. It's going to be quite a contrast, and we're probably going to drop off into sleep <laughs> or agitation, because all of a sudden the intellect which has been doing just fine with repeating a mantra and moving the forefinger and you know, paying attention to breath. But the mental that can handle that, mostly. <laughs> then we go into the expansion stage and there's nothing for the intellect to do. And the intellect is used to doing. It wants to do. It insists on doing, and that's how we get restless. Because the intellect isn't content to sit like that. But if we rewind back earlier into the meditation, and when the intellect has something to do, when it can be 
occupied. And we start to emphasize the feeling aspect even then. Swami, Swami put it, if you want to experience peace from your practice, then practice with peace. If you want to experience joy from your practice, then practice with joy. To bring the feeling element of our awareness into the practices before we ever get to the expansion stage. And when we do that, then there isn't that drop-off. It feels like rather that there's all, all through the practice, there's been this natural flow that is now just flowing through a different territory than it was flowing through before. But it starts to bring our, our meditation practice into uh, a unified whole when we can actually begin to go deeper into that stillness, deeper into the inner awareness that there's something inside there. We start to start to feel or see perhaps or hear perhaps something of that that uh, force which combines these qualities harmoniously to pr produce the effect of an orange. You know, that force that is that inner light that doesn't just illuminate everything, but it really brings everything into existence. And we stop, uh, you know, in the uh, essence of self-realization, I wanted to share another quotation where Yogananda said, Wisdom is intuitive insight, not intellectual understanding. The difference between human and divine wisdom is that the human mind comes at things indirectly from without. The scientist, for example, investigates the atom, uh, atom objectively. But the yogi becomes the atom. Divine perception is always from within. From within alone can a thing be understood in its true essence. And so if the intellect thinks, become the atom? How can I become the atom? I'm me. Right? And the thing is, we don't have to become the atom. What we have to do is to talk, us out of, talk ourselves out of thinking that we aren't the atom already. Because if all is one, as all great spiritual teachings say, then we already are that atom. And it's simply, simply, not easily, but simply a matter of changing perspective, changing perception, to get to the point where we understand that, okay, I am not just this body. I am not just this personality. There is more to me. And we don't get there through the machinations of the intellect, or if we do, it isn't satisfying if we get there just through the intellect. It only satisfies when we experience that. And that's what we're all trying to do, really, is simply experience who and what we've, we are, we've always been, and we always will be. And we can do that just by sitting in the calm after effects of meditation 
and waiting quietly, patiently, and handsomely. <laughs> God is our father, our mother too. God is our dearest treasure. God's ever near, the one friend who loves us without any measure. Of his dreams our love was made. Only from him is love repaid. Let us in gladness all live for him, serve him in every season, serve him with thought, with hand and limb, love him without any reason. God befriends us as we are, fools we that hold his love Sir. Sure.